Everybody, welcome back to Contest Prep University. Joe Klimazeski and Adam Atkinson. We're going to talk about extreme preps. And when you first brought this topic to my attention, Adam, I thought th there are most of the time people who are trying to get to an extreme condition. So I definitely want to talk about that. Uh, even people who may genetically have the ability to do that and you're trying to maximize that. I've also had plenty, and I'm sure you have just extreme mesomorphs, people who can really, you know, come into a contest and, and dominate just with their, their physical size and symmetry, which can look very, very extreme. But on the prep side, uh, I tend to think about extreme weight loss, somebody who is just trying to really lose a lot to get to a particular show, uh, lose with a certain amount of speed. So, you know, trying to cram things in and then perhaps striving for extreme measures. How low can you go calorically? How fast can you lose? How much cardio can somebody handle? So so that word extreme does a lot of work in the, the title here. Uh, and then you had even mentioned a, another version of just, just knowing what you can handle for perhaps even the length of a contest season. And being at the end of this particular year, as we record this, uh, I'm definitely running into that with some clients who've been dieting for quite a while. So let me hand it off to you first, just kind of kind of dive in with the topic you wanted to discuss, which is, you know, what you can actually handle and, and maybe even how that ties into the length of the type of offs or, or, or the kind of prep you're going to choose. Yeah. You know, I think when we're working with athletes, genetics have to be and can be determined during the prep. I've had this happen where someone looks great and you think they only have 15 pounds to lose. You get into the prep and their metabolism is shot because there's a reason they look that good. And it's because they've been probably mindfully restricting calories for a long time and just getting that little bit off is difficult and one of the things that just really sparked me to want to talk about this is our industry has a real knack for like kind of feeling sorry for yourself after going through the process, um, which I really don't get. Um, I'm pretty clear with my clients about what they're signing up for. And uh, I, I don't see this in any other industry. Uh, recently, I've been reintroduced into playing music and uh you know all i can think of how much these guys practice you know and i've not been invited to carnegie hall yet but i'm also not online bitching about not getting invited but for whatever reason competitors that don't make it feel so compelled to uh, my coach made me practice or my coach made me do this like it was a choice. And if you didn't like it at the end of the day, just don't do it again. And I I think that um, our sport tends to get bullied because people can't, it, when it's about how you look, it becomes a lot more personal than not playing guitar well or not playing the saxophone well or not practicing enough because people can take better accountability with that stuff versus how they look. And I think there's also just a lot of misunderstanding with physiology that makes people angry or just uh, when people don't understand things, it makes it kind of tough for them. 
I, I really like where your mind went with this instead of mine. So I think I'm going to follow more of the of your trail here, which is I, I also I have a client. I think I mentioned this uh, who is in Europe and is already a, a world champion, has a has a pro card in one organization going for another. And this guy talk about extreme his genetics. I I, I really hesitate to say I've even seen maybe more than five people in my lifetime as lean as this guy and he's still holding a lot of size it's just fantastic the way uh his overall size symmetry is uh in terms of just you know speaking of genetics he picked the right sport and yet when i asked him you know we're we're four six weeks you know away from the stage how much leaner do you think you want to get because what i'm seeing is we're probably at a point where we we should start steering food intake back up a little bit and we, you know, I just want to make sure we don't cross that line and risk getting you irreparably flat. And he said, no, I've got about 1% more I can get. I can get leaner. And following his lead, stunned, but yet he was right. He has held on just, uh, you know, just fine to his muscle mass. And now he's even leaner than I was, you know, describing. And, and that's somebody who is going to an extreme like you're describing, Adam, he, he just doesn't mind doing the work, you know, when even given a choice by me, Hey, you know, maybe we should increase food. He's like, nah, I don't want to do it. I want this too badly to risk just not going that final, you know, inch on the football field, so to speak. And, you know, I, I, I will probably talk about a lot of different examples, but I have another client who has learned this lesson a couple of contest seasons in a row that when he gets extreme with his food, as somebody who loves food, he loves flexibility, he loves taste, he's a cook, he actually has commercial products he develops uh, in, the, in the food industry. Yet that kind of hinders us because you know how inaccuracies and so forth can just kind of stack up even when they're not the fault of the person, not the, the dieter. And when he goes to just a very, very plain whole food diet, everybody likes to call this bro dieting. But it's just simply taking out a lot of the, the mechanisms for error totally out of the equation. Physiologically, it's more predictable, more consistent. So all of a sudden, he has just crushed. I, I mean, he has probably in the last month um, you know, done better in terms of his physical change than he did the, the previous two months. And, and it all comes down to being willing to just simply be extreme in the amount of discipline and consistency that you're you're laying out every day. Yeah, absolutely. It has to be passion filled, uh, and and you're not always going to feel like crushing every workout. I think that shouldn't deter people from doing this. You know, there's going to be hard times. Uh, it it it's really a tough sport, but at the end of the day. I think you also have to be realistic with your expectations of what you're going to get out of this. And I think that that makes people kind of play the blame game. Uh, I think another thing I wanted to talk about is people love to see a number, like how much cardio is too much, how low of fats is too low. And with the world of, anonymously on the internet right now people are just so inclined to put their opinion out there 
um, from user 3379. You know, like, who even is this person? Are they qualified to give any advice at all? Um, you know, and, you know, this is why we have coaches in the first place. And I think that's the hard thing is how do you vouch for a good coach? And I think coaching is all about creating relationships. But, you know, the truth is, I don't really have a rule on how high the cardio, you know, is too high or how low the food is too low. Uh, I think when you do that, you really back yourself into the corner. I've had some clients do some really extreme things for two days, but we also talked about, can they do it? Are they willing to do it? And and what can we do to ease that process? Uh, and versus it being a protocol, well, that worked for that person. So let's give everyone that extreme at the end. That's not what we're about. But, you know, there there have been some of my clients where maybe we didn't train for three days and we really focused on sleep. Maybe they had a couple days off of work and we knew that they could push just a little bit harder because they had the extra time. And we took advantage of that for three or four days. Um, you know, maybe that makes me a bad coach to some people, but to that person in particular, they were able to do it. And I think that's a big part of this is, you know, giving things to your clients that they can achieve. And if they can achieve those things, they need to be open and honest, like, hey, this isn't doable for me, or I feel like my mental health is, you know, suffering. Uh, because we certainly as coaches that care for our clients, we don't want those surprises at the end of prep. You know, we want those on a weekly continuum when we're communicating. Yeah, I, I like that you had used guitar earlier or music as as a way to show. Look, like some people, if they're passionate, they don't they don't mind practicing twelve hours a day. Matter of fact, try to get that guitar out of their hand. Like it just it's in them. The desire is too high. And when I look at performance sport, I had a background early in football, basketball, and baseball. Then really stuck with baseball, and. You know, that in itself gives some of those same principles of what somebody's willing to do to make the team, to do well, to get a D1 scholarship, to go pro. But then when you look at real extreme performance sports, something like Olympic level, again, the people who are going to rise to the top are willing to do a lot. Um, I, I, I think about, you know, the, the the person who is doing two or three a day's you know, even even in something like high school sport, I have high school athletes that I work with locally once in a while, and you see them doing a, a practice, then kind of a skill workout, then a strength workout. They, they may be doing something physically three times a day. And I want to I want to bridge that gap a little bit just to some of my general population clients to show how that mindset can transfer back and forth. I, I often talk about the novelty that makes it a little easier for people. Give me somebody who's brand new, who has never really dieted that aggressively, who has this big transformative goal, or on the competitive side, somebody who's getting ready for their first contest, and they just seem to be willing to hit some of these extremes a little bit harder. If you tell them this is what it takes, they believe you, and they just simply have a higher aptitude to do that. Sometimes we even have to pull them back like, wait, you know, hey, I think you're getting a little too close to being obsessive about this. 
But some of us who have been in the game long enough, we kind of forget how much it really, really takes. And, and I hate using words like suffering, but there is a <clears throat> there is a sacrifice to it. And, uh, you know, every time I think about the ultimate look, once you're on a stage with 10 or 20 or 40 people in your class, all vying for that same single number one position, and you've got genetics on the line, you have to assume every single one of those people are, are giving it their best shot, their lifetime absolute best. And if you're taking your foot off the gas at all, uh, you know, I just don't think you're going to make it. I don't think many people do. And even those people who have just completely given it everything they've got still because of just genetics and the subjectivity of the sport, it, it, it it's not always going to go your way. Yeah, I agree. This is really a balance of genetics and hard work. And unfortunately, some people have a, a better genetic bank account, you know, where they're, they might be able to get some cheat meals or some expenditures or, you know, have some meals that someone else can't have. But on the other hand, somebody maybe with not as great genetics with maybe slightly better determination than that person might be able to beat them. Now, if they get beat, that person with the great genetics might stop putting their foot off the gas anymore and then they beat them at the next show so you know the thing is you typically don't really know how transparent some of these athletes are about what they're actually doing but that's really what we're up against in this so when people start asking things like you know how much is too much you know I think they're coming from a place of fear of you know, can I do this? And I think they already maybe know the answer and they should just ask, you know, should I, or can I compete? <laughs> yeah. Let, let me, let me go to an example uh, because I'm going to talk about a client who is, is competing in her first contest this year and started with me, as I said, is this is kind of a novel thing. I don't know what to expect. I certainly didn't know what to expect first time working with this person and yet when we looked at her physique, we both kind of set up a goal, even with body comp measurements, here's probably where we're going to end up. Uh, luckily, we had all year, we're looking at 11 months right about now, because she ended up having to lose about 30 pounds. And as somebody who is quasi ectomorphic, you know, maybe all the way ecto, uh, you know, we're, we're very guarded in terms of losing lean body mass, but then uh, lower body fat as you know, most females are, uh, ended up being a little bit of an issue. So, you know, Hey, are we, can we risk losing more just to see more hamstring separation to see, you know, glute ham separation. And we had the time. So talk about extreme. This is a person who has just not let up for an entire year. We've, you know, hardly even done any diet breaks. It's it, again, it's it's something I had to almost force on her because her discipline is so high. And now we're at a place where it's going to be tough to beat her. I mean, I, I did not know we could get her glutes and hamstrings to this level. I did not think we would be able to maintain the upper body size that we need. Uh, even throwing things in like somebody who's never 
been on a stage in terms of posing. So she's had to practice that, hire a posing coach, really go through all of that work. And at this point, with an entire year's worth of work, Adam, uh, it, it is just remarkable how she has hit an extreme look because she was willing to go through that that extreme discipline and consistency. And as I, as I use this phrase often with clients, even down to the, the daily habits we have, there is a price to pay. And you have to recognize when you are paying that price and you're willing to do that. Uh, what One more quick story, and then I'll, I'll let you comment, is one, another one of my general population clients who was you know, losing well, gets a little stuck, loses well. She said, you know what? I, it's really a pattern with me that I just can't eat starch with dinner. You know, like dinner has to be lean protein and a vegetable. And then that's just it for the night, no matter what I do training wise. And so just with her cognitive, uh, you know, um, you know, thinking or forensically thinking through what, what dots are connecting, she came up with that and she said, yeah, so that's just the price I'm gonna have to pay. Like, that's what I'm going to do. And uh, it's, it's very difficult to get people to in this world of flexible dieting and thinking we can kind of have our cake and eat it too in every way, uh, that sometimes that's just the physiology that you have, the genetics, as you said, and you gotta, you gotta keep rolling through it. Yeah. And you might have to work harder to, you know, maintain some of that leanness if you are more endomorphic than others. Um, and then that might make a sacrifice for how much tissue you can gain if you need to do that in the off season. So to me, this complex game is what makes it fun. I I think also, unfortunately, having people confused about the process or what is right and wrong is what kind of takes the fun out of it, you know? So so let's let's finish by talking about how you get there, how you get that extreme look how you maintain the extreme discipline. And, you know, I, I think all the way back to, gosh, maybe the early 90s when I and most of the industry was still in the throes of just that 80s culture of, you know, do an hour of fasted cardio every morning and diet super, super, super hard and then have one cheat meal a week. You know, it was it was such a, a template kind of program and th there seems to be, because and this is just a little behavioral tidbit, but when you had that relief valve at the end of the week where you could go have a burger and fries or, a, you know, eat a pizza or something and then get right back on it, uh, you were willing to do anything in that interim. And today, because I think of modern coaching and a lot of people vying for those upper echelons of pro cards and so forth. There just a lot of people aren't taking breaks and they're they're driving, driving, driving. They're doing all the things we're describing. So, so how how do you get people to sustain that over time? You know, I, I know the advent in the last couple of years of actual technical diet breaks and so forth, but from a from a mental standpoint, physical standpoint, you, you mentioned earlier, like sometimes you'll just tell your clients, look, just don't just don't do anything for three days. Let's just rest, recover a little bit. How do you really make sure they are stopping to stay sharp? I think you got to look at the layout of how the protocols are being delivered and how they're being executed. So with my clients, if their cardio is getting pretty high, 
we're going to talk about, well, what's the flexibility with this cardio? Can you go outside? Can you, you know, dare enjoy this by any means? And, you know, some coaches are so dogmatic that it must be fasted first thing in the morning. I think, you know, it's not necessarily wrong to create some structure, but that might not be realistic for some people. And some people may need to do two trips to the gym to do that cardio because maybe they don't live in the best neighborhood to go outside and immediately get that cardio in. And I, I think when we look at some of the research promoting specific cardio times, I would just rather have my clients be able to get it in when it best fits their schedule. And that's going to create more longevity for them to actually get that cardio in. If they're getting stuck in traffic going to the gym because you've got them doing two or three sessions a day, that's kind of a problem on execution. And that'll actually be a bigger impact than any timing, you know, structure can someone can benefit from so is and and just like macros like adherence is key versus like the timing of the macros or anything like that so we have to make our our programs for clients flexible and that's exactly what coaching is so let me, let me give you an example of a client who says adam i am just dying like you want me to get this bunch of cardio in but i'm hypoglycemic I can barely put one foot in front of the other. Um, I just you, you're discerning from them this this massive amount of depletion. Uh, is that when you say, "Well, just suck it up"? Like this is what it takes. You're 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 on track. We can't we can't risk losing a week or so. Um, you know, again, I, I'm I'm going back to what should we really be feeling? How how much is is a risk we're willing to take, or is there a risk? Uh, because we kind of start out this conversation talking about people, competitors who who just don't think they really have to suffer that much, that it should just be easy. Yeah. So coaches should definitely understand the impacts of blood sugar and even maybe teach clients how to track it. So when we get that first hypoglycemic event, we certainly want to start maybe looking at blood sugar a little bit more often. We definitely want to pump the brakes on that day. And we actually want to encourage the client at their own discretion when you're feeling that way, like let's actually pack an emergency meal because this could happen again. We may not want to change your entire plan, but let's change today, get you through today, see how you feel tomorrow, maybe have a good filling emergency snack with you all day, just in case that happens again. And I might have them take a glucose or purchase a glucose monitor and say, when you're feeling that way, let's test and just kind of see where you're at. Actually, if their blood sugar is fine, they might actually have like an iron or B deficiency as well. So this can start helping you pinpoint some other issues that they may be having that may present like hypoglycemia. I like your track here on you have to have the discipline, but you also have to have the, the freedom to know when to be flexible. And two of the things I often tell clients in terms of nutrition and training is on the nutrition side, we have to keep looking at the objective metrics. 
if you're just not losing or you're not losing fast enough or even at a rate that we think is is acceptable or appropriate, then some of these symptoms, yes, you we may have to figure out with food intake, food quality, food source, food timing, all of those things are factors that may help you feel better. But don't forget that just day-to-day -day acute symptoms can change. You may feel super lethargic, low energy. It's a tough day, but you go through it and you maybe have the mindset, okay, this is this means it's working. I mean, as long as you don't feel you know, inappropriately ill, and then you're rewarded on the scale, you know, that week with, with a good week. And just with one good night's sleep, you feel amazing. Like the next day is like, wow, I made it through that day. I feel great. Some of that was just the, the regulation of your, your body fat levels, lipolysis catching up. So now blood sugar trace levels of liver glycogen are back up to normal levels just because you had a good night's sleep and, and, you know, had a little bit more recovery time. So not necessarily thinking because I feel bad, I need to have an extra couple hundred calories today, or I need a break, or I need a cheat meal. Similarly, with training, there are days where you just shouldn't work out. You know, you just, you feel so lousy and you just know I'm risking injury. This workout is not going to be productive. And so I'm just going to bag it and, and push my schedule back a day. Other times, you kind of get into the workout, you get some blood flowing, and all of a sudden it could be the best workout of your week. So those are the things I think every single competitor and possibly coach has to understand. We just don't always have the best insight in ourselves as to when to push and when not to push. You have to practice that. You have to look at some of the experiences you've had and then gain some of that intrinsic intuition about where your body really is. Absolutely. There, there's just, you know, one last thing that I'll say, the people who win in this sport, the people who get to that ultimate condition, they have days and weeks like we're describing, and they just consider it part of the process. They know this is what it takes. Uh, you, you mentioned a few minutes ago, maybe you should decide it's just not where you need to be right now. Maybe your genetics don't even allow it. I, I honestly consider myself one of those people who, you know, as more of an endomorph, endomezo, the standards of bodybuilding to get as lean as possible do not favor my genetics. They just don't. You know, for me to pick a sport that's appropriate for me, it's to be at a little bit higher level of body fats and maybe be in a strength or performance sport because my body just doesn't want to get that lean. And that's that's indicated by hormonal changes, the amount of lean body mass I lose. Uh, I, I've seen clients who are willing to do these tests that may start out at a normal 800 you know, testosterone level. And by the time they're just getting to their metabolic set point, they're already in the 100s and so forth. And you just see that toll on their body. And again, some people genetically, just as you astutely said, don't have that bank account. Right. All right, man. Was there anything else that you wanted to cover in this extreme uh, aspect of, of prep? I would say don't let this discourage you from trying. You may get really addicted to the process and love it. I think everyone who is interested in it at least owes it to themselves to give it a try and see if it's for them. And if not, that's totally okay. Man, you just described 
something in me uh, that's going to take a second to to unwrap because every single prep I did from my very first contest to my last one as a pro on the world stage, I always felt like I went a little further, I achieved a little more, I got a little better, but there was not one single time where I felt I had reached my lifetime best potential. There was always something else left on the table that I knew I could come back to. And just as you described, there it, it really left a good hunger. I, I'm doing this, I'm improving, and yet there's still more. And now that next prep, I always had the resolute thought and planning, I am going to do better. I am going to nail it this time. I am going to be the ultimate best I can be. And because I was willing to take on those challenges and, and build that level of discipline, go to those new extremes, I, I think one level at a time, it, it did allow room for me to continue in the sport and, and really enjoy the whole process. Yeah, same same for myself. Uh, everything was progressive and each year got better and each year I learned more that made me better. Yep, and that's, uh, that's why we're here, trying to help everybody do that. So thanks, Adam, appreciate that. And we will see you guys next time in Contest Prep University.